Welcome to our Agile Tales, where we share the various successes and trials we've encountered as we navigate corporate levels and political waters to transform the business to be adaptable to this forever changing world. We are continuing our conversation with Dr. Nick Horney on VUCA Masters, developing leadership agility for the new world of work. Dr. Nick Horney started off as a U.S. Navy Special Operations Officer. He served as a coach for transitioning SEAL team members, and his experience reinforced his view that the best leaders in any level internalize and demonstrate leadership agility. Just as people aspire to and invest in physical fitness, leaders must regularly invest in agility fitness, checking on key vital signs to frequently measure themselves. Let's all welcome Dr. Nick Horney to our Agile Tales. Hi, Nick. In our last episode, you mentioned the 360 assessment and evaluation. How often should you do that? Should this be part of annual performance management or should it be more often? I would say at a minimum once a year. I think things change enough so that, uh, and part of my history is as an organizational psychologist, is that I really encourage everyone to have a development plan that you can do a performance review and that basically traditional performance reviews say, how did you do on these goals? Did you do well, not too well, et cetera? And okay, so now I don't get as much of a raise as I thought I was going to get. The performance review often drives the kind of merit increase that someone gets. A development plan should be independent of that. I would actually separate in time the performance review and the 360 assessment so that there are two different purposes. The development plan, the 360 assessment, is really about your development as a leader. And it's not directly tied into a specific set of goals. It's about the kind of behavior that you're demonstrating as a leader, regardless of the setting. It may be team meetings. It could be cross-functional team meetings. It could be external meetings that you're part of as well. But let's take a good hard look at that. And let's do that for developmental planning purposes. And you have your development plan and you have a performance plan. I mean, a performance plan is around hitting certain goals, et cetera. Oftentimes it's through the behavior that you've been able to adapt and adjust and improve upon, et cetera is going to enable you to achieve those hard targets that you're looking at. I believe that having a fundamental plan that is data-driven and a 360 assessment is a great way to have the kind of data that is coming in from a variety of different sources, not just your boss, but it's coming in from peers and subordinates and all others. So that in fact, you look at that and for that person's boss to take on some accountability in terms of not just reviewing performance in terms of hitting goals or not hitting goals. Let's look at your development plan and what successes are you having with that? What progress are you having with that? Have you implemented this? Have you started asking more questions? I think I'll sit in on one of your team meetings and hear how things are going. You know, are you asking more questions? Are you encouraging them to come up with more solutions and those kinds of activities so that the boss of this person who's taking the assessment is engaged and is involved in that person's development as well? Wow. I, I love how you say, you know, delineate between the goals, the merit part with the 360, the development plan. That is uh, very crucial because I think HR has been trying to do that, telling people, oh, performance management has nothing to do with merit, but yet it is. It ties to salary increases and promotions and stuff. So very happy to hear you say this. Sometimes. Now, and if you could work with any of your HR colleagues along the way and then encourage them to separate it in time. 
you know, so that in fact, yes, we do want to accomplish the same things. We do want to hit the end goal and achieve the things that the business wants to achieve. But that also is done through people and the HR persons can be nodding, yeah, up and down, yes. So therefore, I try to squeeze both of that into the same meeting that in one case, the person is sitting there opposite the boss looking at, and yeah, you may have done your own self-assessment, et cetera. And you're looking at, okay, I got a four. I thought I really got a five, but my boss gave me, oh my gosh, gave me a three gave me an overall three instead of a five, I'm just going to get a minimum amount of pay increase. Then the boss is now trying to shift you to, now let's look at what you can do in your development plan to improve from a three to a five. And you're there defending why you should be having a five to begin with. You're not accepting anything that the boss is saying. So you're not hearing, you're not listening to development planning. You're saying, boss has no earthly idea of what I can do and what I've done. And it's time for me to start looking around for another job. How do you know? That was exactly me before. <laughs> it's all this gray hair. It's all this gray hair. That's it. <laughs> That's the reason why when whenever HR said, oh, no, please separate the two. I'm like, what do you mean separate the two? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're not separate the two. Yeah. And anyway, so we're talking about the capabilities of anticipating change, generating confidence, initiating action, liberating thinking and evaluating results. Could you talk to what would hinder each of these capabilities that people won't be able to do them? Your boss? Now, that was a kind of a flip of response to that. You know, really, a lot of it is your self-understanding, and it does go back to the earlier question in terms of your own self-assessment, your own understanding in terms of what your development plan looks like, what are your strengths, what are your developmental areas, so that, in fact, you are concentrating on that. You're not forgetting about if you're working on anticipating change. You're not forgetting about you also need to be generating confidence and initiating action, et cetera. But you can do specific things as part of the 360 that we do. We have a 75-page development guide that goes hand-in-hand hand with that so that, in fact, if you get a lower score on your 360 in anticipating change, there are developmental recommendations in terms of things that can be done to help you improve. And it's the vast majority of them are done on the job. There's some readings included in there, but primarily it's on the job. It's not go off to a seminar at Harvard or something like that or Stanford or wherever it may be to pay a lot of bucks and get spoon fed something. It really is about implementing things uh, on the job. And there are very specific things around what you can do to anticipate change and generate confidence and initiate action, uh, et cetera. And so there's 75 pages worth of resources, you know, for that information. But it does go back to, I mean, I know I gave you a flip response, but it does go back to being very serious about your profession is not just being an engineer or being an agilist. Often you are a leader, whether you're independent contributor, but a leader. And what are your capabilities then as a leader? And this then gives everybody that's in a leader role, whether it's on a team or leading a team or leading a business unit, whatever it is, a way to pause, a way to say, let me take a little bit of a time out here and focus on me. Let me take that time to focus on me and see where are my strengths, where are my weaker areas as perceived by those that I work with, both boss, subordinate, peer, client, et cetera, so that I can do something about that. Now, it can be the first time you ever do this, it can be very threatening. You may look at the results and go, 
wow, I scored myself high in about all the areas. And there are certain areas here that I'm scoring pretty low. Well, the idea is that should be an eye opener. And at least you have an opportunity. Not everybody has this opportunity. You have an opportunity to do something about that. And now the time is right for doing something about that. And I would encourage everybody, just, just like, I, that's why I go back to the medical model. The time is now to do something about our, not only physical and mental well-being, but now, now is the time to do that and to look at what we're putting in our mouths and drinking and how much sleep we're getting and whether we're actually, get up off our butts and just go out, go out and walk, just walk, begin walking around the block and extend that a little bit further. Do all of those things. And um, I, of course, that doesn't explain you know, some of the, the kinds of things that we could get, like cancer and things like that. But for the most part, you know, God put us on this earth, gave us a brain, gave us something that we should be able to say, OK, you know, let's let me get let me give it the best shot I've got while I'm here. And so that I can implement agility in all these great organizations out there and be physically and mentally astute. And uh, along with knowing everything about agility, but my body and my mind need to be healthy as well. Amen to that. Well, since we're talking about assessment, you also introduce agility personality assessment. Now, there are already a lot of these kinds of assessments out there like DISC, Strength Finder, Myers-Briggs, etc. How is this different? How would this profile help us? It's specifically targeting agility personality. It's some research that we did, uh, some of these others, and you mentioned Strength Finder, you mentioned DISC and, and others. DISC is more holistic and you know, it's not all the different from Myers-Briggs and you know, you're trying to go after that. It's not generic. It really focuses in on what, it, what is the kind of personality that you're looking for to enable and encourage leadership agility. And with that, that combined with the behaviors, you know, through a leadership agility profile could provide really some good solid information to be able to have. I would encourage the leadership agility profile 360 first. That's probably more robust. It comes from a variety of different inputs, et cetera. The leadership agility personality profile is done more of a self-report version of that. But the idea is to uh, really capture agility-specific types of things. So I think you mentioned a little bit, but I'm going to ask anyways. How can we use it? I mean, how does this... You mentioned that, but I want you to, if you can, go into more detail of how it complements the leadership agility fitness assessment. Yeah, I think oftentimes in executive coaching, and I'll pull back from just the agility focus, et cetera that it's important to capture not only behaviors, but also you know, personality you know, as well from a holistic view in terms of someone's strengths, barriers that may get in their way, et cetera. And so in terms of the leadership agility profile, it is about behaviors and about you know, focusing in on that. The personality assessment is about those kind of underlying traits that can, in fact, be blocks. And the same is true, whether it's DISC or Myers-Briggs, there are a variety of other personality assessments out there. And they're good. They're, they're good and they're valid. They've been studied. They have the reliability that's needed to do what they do. But we've also studied and do have the kind of psychometric properties around the personality assessment as well. 
And the idea is a combination of personality and behaviors probably does provide a more holistic overall view. So for example, if someone is just starting off trying to learn more about themselves and their development plans, et cetera, I would start first with a leader, not overwhelm them too much, unless you had a formal leadership coach and executive coach with them, and then you might utilize these two assessments and maybe even others. You know, I'll use behavioral observations, I'll sit in on meetings, I'll capture behaviors and that type of thing. But I would start first with a leadership agility profile 360 and get experience doing that, get experience in doing a development plan. And then the next year rolls around and let's do both. Let's do the 360 and let's do the personality measure. And let's look at the behaviors and let's look at maybe why some of the behaviors may be getting in the way. And that starts getting into some of the personality factors that are included in that. Can we do this in the organization level? Yes, as a matter of fact, when you say at an organizational level, we can do several different things and we work with clients in a variety of ways. For example, we will often do something that we refer to as an organizational agility audit. And this audit does just that. It captures information from across the organization from a variety of different inputs, different levels, et cetera, to capture the overall strengths and weaknesses of the organization. And yes, it's tied back into the Agile model. So as an organization, how well do we anticipate change and generate confidence, et cetera? And then it then becomes, as you cascade that on down to the team level and the organization and the individual level, you start getting more specific with implementing the 360 assessment at an individual level. So at an organization, you see that we're anticipating change, but at an individual leader level, this particular leader may be doing a great job of anticipating change. So maybe we as an organization need to tap into this leader and the experience that they've had in anticipating change to use them to help present and share ideas and applications that they've used to in essence, train others and how that can be done. We did something just like that with a large organization out of Europe. We did an organizational agility assessment. And then from that, we identified what were the strengths and developmental areas organizationally, then cascaded that down on into departments or business units so that they then could do those same assessments, but it was oriented towards the business unit. And then the next level down is at the individual level. What you're trying to do is to get harmony that parallels between anticipating change and generating confidence at an individual team organizational level. And you're using the same language. And that's one of the things that our clients have provided is very positive feedback is the the language is, is in business terms. It's simple to understand. It's business and behavioral terms. So they understand what anticipating change means at an individual level and also at an organizational level, because oftentimes it may be a process that's broken. So you need to improve some of the processes that are currently in place for anticipating change. At an individual level, it may be more in terms of behaviors. So what are some of those behaviors that you can implement to improve at anticipating change? So yes, the idea is that we do want to work and we can work it starting even at an individual coaching session and have that extend into his or her peers and say, well, we would also like to do some executive coaching around leadership agility that then extends into business units that then bubbles up to the enterprise in terms of, well, let's do that overall enterprise and see what it is we're doing and what's getting in the way in terms of our agility. 
That's very helpful, but I'm more specifically thinking of the agility personality assessment, because is there such a thing as an organization level agility personality? No, we don't have that. Uh, probably the closest thing that we've dabbled in is something a little bit closer to an organizational culture that reflects agility. So that's probably as, as close to it as possible. We still pretty much stick with the personality at an individual level. So talk about culture. Let's talk about culture. Okay. I'm curious because you're talking about, well, now I was getting into the culture. Is there such a thing of agility culture? What would that look like? Well, I've got a, very much of a bias here, as you might imagine. It, it has a lot to do with the Agile model. And so if we come right back around to that. And a way of identifying culture is just listen to leaders. So listen to what they are talking about and what they're asking, what they're presenting and presentations, et cetera. And does any of that have anything to do with anticipating change and generating confidence and, you know, initiating action, you know, that type of thing. Oftentimes you may hear, yeah, initiating action, or it may be about evaluating results in terms of hitting the budget and hitting your targets and that type of thing. It may be less so about anticipating change. It may be less so in terms of generating confidence. So I think it's critical. In fact, we're working with clients in terms of helping them define, not only have we introduced agility, but working with them in terms of their transformation to do the kinds of things that could establish more of an agility you know, culture, a culture that is supportive of, of agility. That's done through a variety of tools and techniques. It's the processes that you have, it's the technology, it's the simple things like we've worked with a client, a simple things like three by five cards that have the Agile model, the five elements of the Agile model on it. And this organization, a large organization said, we want every leader, could be a team leader, could be a business unit leader, et cetera, for every single meeting, Use that as your guide to setting up the agenda for your meeting. Now, think about that. Regardless of what you're talking about, we want to make sure that we're having a conversation about anticipating change, generating confidence, initiating action, liberating thinking, and evaluating results. And most of the meetings that you attend, you probably dabble in some of those anyhow. But in terms of, for example, generating confidence, it could be things like the leader of the team just recognizing individual team members or the overall team and say, just wanted to recognize all of you for what you were able to achieve, the extra time you put into this, et cetera, and exhibiting the behaviors that demonstrate generating confidence and are doing the kinds of things. It's more than just training and going through things. It's actually, what do we do and say every day and every week so that in fact, we're reinforcing the behaviors of our colleagues and of our clients so that the clients see this. There's another organization that I work with goes TD Bank. They have something called TD Talks, you know, sort of like TED Talks. Well, you know, agility was a key topic and was reported, et cetera. And I was doing that and had a panel discussion. So the idea is using as many of these tools, newsletters included in there, have employees who are demonstrate agility and why they demonstrate agility, being able to emphasize that. Now, you can be achieving all of these results, all the goals, the targets, and that type of thing. But now what you're trying to do is you're trying to say, build in this culture, and here's how we build it in. As new employees, 
you know, come on board, build that into their orientation program so that they understand what anticipating change means. And anticipating change, you know, that employee may look at it and go, I provide administrative support for this group over here. Okay, so how do you think you might be able to help them with anticipating change? Have you, through the past work you've done, are there some things you well, yeah, I, I knew some of these calls or I was aware of a pattern. I've talked with some of the other admins around and there seemed to be a number of things going on as opposed to just having them be sideline conversations. How does that help anticipate changes that are coming within and outside the organization? So it's building that culture in so that it becomes beyond just walking the talk. It's, it really is doing them, saying them, reinforcing them, rewarding them. All those things. Awesome. I know you mentioned it before, but I'm going to formally ask now, what exactly is a VUCA master? What characteristics do they have? And how do we evaluate if someone is truly a VUCA master? Okay, a VUCA master is someone who demonstrates, whether it's a pandemic around or whether there's no pandemic around demonstrates all five of the characteristics of the Agile model. They demonstrate their capability at anticipating change, generating confidence, initiating action, liberating thinking, and evaluating results. They do that. And they also, being a VUCA master doesn't mean just being really great in any one of those. It's all five of them. So that's the really the essence of being a VUCA master. And as I mentioned earlier, too, that being a VUCA master can be a uh, being able to have that capability to deal with or be resilient to the VUCA that is being presented to you by the environment or by competition, et cetera. But it's also being proactive and preemptive so that, in fact, you are, as a VUCA master, introducing VUCA to your competition. So it could be either or, or it could be both of those in terms of being a VUCA master. Nice, nice. I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm still going to ask it anyway. Do we all need to be a VUCA master? I would say that that is a goal to strive for. My belief, and at least what we've studied, is that they're somewhat of a rare breed out there that truly have you know, all five. In fact, I would argue that there's a personality theory that says that you know, the whole, whole concept of state or trait you know, personality. Now, a state means that it is that environment that you're in. So like COVID, okay, somebody was really great at dealing with COVID and the emergency that's necessary there, but kind of trailed off and they've kind of gotten back to ho-hum, doing the things the way they are. They don't really have, they're not demonstrating tr the trait personality. So a VUCA master it really possesses that trait, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's traveling abroad, whether it's traveling throughout the U.S., in a homogenous or heterogeneous groups, et cetera, they are demonstrating it you know, the same way. That then becomes a VUCA master that they're able to do that. The examples that I gave earlier about you know, my daughter, and I'm not portraying myself necessarily as a VUCA master, but my daughter getting married, for example, in terms of me dealing with the VUCA, what did I do to anticipate the change and how was I working with her to generate confidence and initiate action? The same is true each year. There's a period of time, you know, summer on into September or so on the East Coast, North Carolina, hurricanes occur from time to time. And so you can apply the VUCA mastery to that as well, or the agile model 
What are we doing to anticipate change, you know, living on the coast here? How do we generate confidence with our significant others? What are we doing to initiate action? What about liberating thinking, like filling up the trash cans with water so that we can have, if our water system goes out and things like that? And how do we evaluate results based on what we did to prepare for that? So you live it and you live it at work and you live it at home with who you're dealing with. And think about it as you drive home, if you're not home already. Think about how you might apply Fuka Mastery or the Agile model to your significant others. What do I do to anticipate change with him or her or generate confidence? Am I building my wife? Am I doing what I can do? Yeah, I build my own self-confidence, but am I doing things to help build her confidence? What about initiating action? Am I encouraging her to take action as opposed to waiting for me to do something? And by all means, she's initiating action. <laughs> but anyhow, it's that type of thing. And I think when we all can start living into some of these models and frameworks, et cetera, they become real. They get beyond academia. They get beyond work. And you may go, wow, you know, that's something that I can really pick up and apply to my daily life. Wow. This is a very different way of thinking. Thank you so much, Nick, for chatting with us about Vuka Masters and introducing us to a variety of different tools. Uh, I sure have learned a lot. Great. It's been terrific. I've enjoyed it. I think it's been a conversation. You know, I can get up on the soapbox and talk about this all day long. But and again, I appreciate both of you and the time that you're taking to do this and uh, appreciate you doing this. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you very much, Nick. I'm inspired. My mind is full of possibilities right now. So thank you again. Appreciate you very much. Well, here, let me let me implement evaluate results then. If both of you would just send a note back where you've actually done something from this, taken this and you've applied it in some way, some aspect of this, et cetera, then I'll know that I've gotten the message through to at least two others. And that would be terrific. Love to hear from you. Absolutely. That's it for our series with Nick Horney and VUCA Masters. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Join us on our next Agile Tales journey, where we will be chatting with Business Agility Institute co-founder, Evan Leyburn, who will be talking on change is the only constant. Feel free to ping us on iagiltales.com.